0: church let's let's pray together just off the bat um, let's pray together Um, the words are on the screen Um, our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've been in a series together that we've called Square One, um, and we've just been working through Um, At the beginning of the school year, uh, our schedules are shifting around. Um, Maybe there are some things that we've picked up throughout the year that this is a good opportunity to just stop and reflect and say, hey, what are the most important things? What are the essential things? Are we building our faith on the most solid ground that we can? And so we've been working through that. This is now week five of this series, um, which is kind of incredible to me. It seems like we just started. Um, but we're going to be together in Ephesians chapter three, the book of Ephesians chapter three. Uh, and if you're using these blue Bibles on pe- page 1218, 1218, these blue Bibles are kind of tucked under the chair in front of you, um, but it, navigate to e- Ephesians chapter three, and we're going to begin in verse 14 this morning. And um, yeah, <laughs> we're just going to dive right in. So I hope, uh, I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And I'm going to read this this whole last section um, because it's it's going to be hard to pick apart. So let's read it all together. Um, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So that's our passage for the morning. Um, if you're if it's your first morning, and you're just kind of picking up, it's kind of a, a weird juncture uh, to, to pick up in, but I'm hoping that the gist the, the, or the, the the heart of the message will be easily enough to, easily enough to at least get our heads around. Um, although we might spend a lifetime trying to really comprehend it. Um, but remember, we're reading in this letter that's a, a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. So we're, one, reading somebody else's mail, and two, we're right smack in the middle of it. There's, there's six chapters in, in this in this letter, the way that we've divided them up. And this is the last of chapter three. So we're right in the middle of it. So there's some things that are going on that you're like, I don't really know what's happening. And if you're not familiar with uh, with church or faith, or if you're new to Jesus and trying to wrap your head around it, you're like, man, there's just a, a ton of church words crammed in here. We got heaven and we got uh, spirit and we got, uh, we've got saints and we've got love and surpassing knowledge. Like, uh, to him be glory throughout all generations. Like that's, that's just feels like a lot of church words, right? It, it just seems like there's just a big dump truck full of just like stuff. And that's, that's kind of why I read it together because there's, there's something that's happening here. As, he gets, as as Paul gets to this part of the letter, he, he just kind of turns his attention. He's like, hold on, I just, stop. I just need to pray. I, I just need to pray. Hold on, let me, let me pray for you. And this is his prayer. And his prayer carries a, a certain amount of weight to it. Um, he kind of goes into, um, some of his, his native language. Um, you know how there are times where depending upon who you're with, you will change how you speak with people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought maybe it just me. Sometimes, sometimes it happens. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily wrong because, because we, there, we don't wanna put up uh, stumbling blocks in front of people and if they're gonna get hung up on how we said aluminum, then maybe we'll just say aluminum and it'll be fine. Like we don't have to necessarily get, like we don't have to say it the way that we would always say it. Um, we can say it a little bit differently because sometimes we're surrounded by people that are a little bit simpler than us. Um, that's, those are jokes for my Australian friend um, who is loving living in America. Yes. Um, there's times where we change our speech, but here we see like Paul, like we get, I think, I, I suspect, now this is me kind of reading in between the lines, but I suspect we just get a glimpse into how Paul's brain works. And he doesn't mask his language here. He goes to words that he knows. He goes to words that are just kind of pregnant with meaning. And he doesn't know a faster way to say it. Like he just just uses the language as he's he's praying from his heart. He gets to this point in the letter and he just says, I I just need to pray for you guys. And this is what my prayer is. Now, we have, uh, as we've gone through this series, we've done what I've called an irreducible minimum or just the gist which is an exercise where we go through and kind of underline the words that move the passage along. They, they, just the action words so that we can get to the bottom of like the language. And so uh, I went through and I underlined uh, some of these words here. I bow my knees before the Father that you be strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you may have strength with all the saints to know the love of Christ, the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more than we think, be glory throughout all generations, amen. So when we boil it down a little bit, um, we can kind of see it, but it loses the power, doesn't it? Like, like there's, there's something about those words kind of carried together that we're like, okay, but when we, when we get down to just, okay, so I pray that you may be strengthened so that Christ will dwell in you, um, so that you'll have strength to know the love of Christ. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, God can do it, yay, like it's, there's something in it that we're missing. And, and here I think is where I want you to feel some of the art and some of the science of reading the Bible, sometimes an exercise that will help us see clearly and help us in our understanding um, of, a, of a passage. Sometimes at a different section, we're like, this is actually getting in the way. So I've showed you this because I wanted you to see that, like, I don't think that this is actually particularly helpful because some of the like real meat of what he's saying gets washed out when we just get to the bottom line here. So. Um, we are going to, to dig in here. And if you want to, like if you want to mark up your Bibles this morning, there are a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. Um, the first thing you might want to mark is the words strength or power. Um, strength and power, and maybe circle these words, strength and power. They show up in verse 16, strength and power. Verse 18, um, uh, strength. And then in verse 20, Strength and power, according to the power, according so strength and power show up throughout this passage. And the other thing you probably want to maybe uh, underline or put a box around is love. Love shows up in verse 17, and it shows up again in verse 19. That's the 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 gist points to these things, but they're really like the the, the backbone of what it is that he's trying to convey. He's praying for strength in order that we might understand. Love, Which seems kind of odd to us, but hopefully as we get through it, um, we will come to see that God alone strengthens us to grasp his love. It's our big idea for the morning. If you don't get anything else, um, then this is, this is it. God alone strengthens us to grasp his great love. So it's kind of a little bit groundwork here. He opens the, in verse 14, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason, for what reason? Like, if you read a read a verse like that, you should be like, what are we talking about? I don't even know where we're at right now. Uh, For what reason? I would probably take our attention back to chapter three uh, and verse eleven. Something he just said. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. Um, So for this reason, that the mystery has been realized. What mystery? Well, then we have to rewind again. We spent a significant amount of time last week talking about the mystery that um, the Jews and the Gentiles who were hostile to each other, God had a special relationship with Hebrew people, with the Jews, and he didn't have a special relationship with people who were not Jews. So if you weren't born in the family, you didn't necessarily have access to God. And yet, what God did through Jesus is he made it possible for both Jews and Gentiles to come together to, to both have access to the Father. It was a mystery. It was something that we didn't quite understand. We couldn't have necessarily predicted, although now that we see it, we can look back in the Hebrew Scriptures and go, oh, well, clearly it was there all along, um, but it was only clear to us because we have the answer. Who likes to take a test when you know the answers? Yes. The answers are real easy to see in the multiple choice if you already know which one is it, right? Right. So um, that's the mystery. The mystery has been realized. So since the mystery has been realized that Gentiles, people who were alienated and far away from God have been brought near and been brought into that, then I pray to you. Um, And and that's also, I think, why in verse 15, he makes the point like every family belongs to God. I'm not just talking about Abraham and his descendants. I'm saying that every family belongs to God. That's the mystery that's been realized in Christ. So then I bow my knees. We're praying again. Um, do you remember, as we were early on? I think maybe week two, um, Ephesians chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty-three. The most of that was also a prayer. Is how he prays for us. Um, we're praying, or how Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He's praying again. Um, but it's significant that he bows his knees to pray. To me, I'm like, well, duh. That's that's like how people pray. Like who who remembers being a kid and like having to to kneel down by your bedside and put your hands like this. Um, I've had the the privilege of leading at uh, at our kids' school, our morning assembly. So I'll I'll lead in the song, and then I'll lead them in the Lord's Prayer, which has been, like, great and fantastic, except that they use a different translation than I'm used to. So I'll sometimes say debts instead of transgressions, and, like, I get all mixed up, and the kids just do what they're going to do. So uh, anyway, that's just whatever anyway, As we do that though, when I encourage them to pray, we have them fold their hands. Like there's a, a physical posture that we have them do just to, just to help them, uh, well, mostly because kids need something to do with their hands, right. Um, but we need something to help us focus on the thing that we're doing. And so when Paul says, I bow my knees, we're like, oh yeah, of course, because that's, you know, every picture we've seen have been uh, somebody praying, uh, bowing their knees. To to us, it's a common picture, probably because we're after Paul. But when Paul says, I bow my knees, for a Jewish mindset, it actually was very, very unusual for a Jew to pray on his knees. The common posture that a Jew would take when they're praying is they would stand up. They'd stand up and address God like he was standing in the room and they would they would have a conversation. And I was like, is that true? Like I, I read that and I was like, I'm not sure that I buy into that. And the thing that came to mind for me was Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18 about uh, a Pharisee who as he prays, he prays like, oh God, I thank you that you didn't make me like that guy over there because he's a super loser and I'm super great. And like, so he's standing in the synagogue praying about how he's super thankful. And then there's a guy whose heart is broken. He says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Like, I don't deserve your grace. And he's praying and he's beating his chest. And I was like, clearly, clearly that guy had to be on his knees. But Luke is actually pretty explicit that both of the men, regardless of the state of their heart, their posture of their body is standing. Both of them were standing. So even if his heart is broken, he doesn't dare like kneel down in the presence of God. So when Paul says, I bow my knee before the father, like to us, we're like, cool, thanks, appreciate it. But to them, they're like, you're what? You're, you're, you're bowing your knee in public? Like you're, you're, you're going, like interceding, you're desperate before God for us, for this? Well, what is this? It, it, it must be significant, Right? Let me pause real quick and just say, no one grows spiritually unless someone is praying. No one grows spiritually unless someone is praying. And sometimes we don't have the strength to pray for ourselves. Sometimes, depending on what season of life we're in, we don't even know that we ought to be praying for ourselves. And so for those of us who see spiritual needs in our family members and see spiritual needs in our neighbors, like, let me encourage you that no one grows spiritually unless someone is praying. So what keeps us from praying for one another? Do we doubt? <laughs> okay, here, here's my, I'll, I'll just give you mine. I doubt. I'm like, God, you really can't do anything with that, that life. Like, what, do, what can you do there? Like, How are you going to fix that? Like, I don't know that I should spend time praying. For them. Like, what are you gonna, how are you gonna? What would happen if they actually, like, then I have to deal with them. Like, it's one thing for them to, to, to be outside the church and I don't have to, but what if they start coming to church and what if they start spending time with us and what if I have to, like, like, interact with them in a spiritual way? Like, what? I don't think that I want that kind of community. Do you know how they hurt me in the past? What are the things that prevent us from praying for one another? because no one grows spiritually unless someone is praying. So what is he praying for? What is he bowing his knee for these Ephesians? Verse 16, according to the, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. These, these phrases are all intertwined together. I don't know how to piece them apart um, in order to talk about the individual parts in a way that's, that's particularly helpful. They just kind of all, um, they all kind of jumble together, but he, he prays for, uh, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you strength to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So according to, uh, according to the glory, what is, what is glory? It's kind of a, a church word, Um, Our our souls are strengthened by the Holy Spirit from the Father's glory. What is glory? Well, I looked around for some definitions. I didn't really like any of them, and I don't know that mine's any better, but it's the one that made sense to me as I was working on this. Uh, Glory is a sense of wonder at the existence of significant qualities or actions. A sense of wonder at the existence of significant qualities or actions, like you ever just see that something exists and you just have a sense of like awe and wonder, like I think that's glory. Like that's that's where I'm, I'm, I'm that's how I'm understanding it this week. Like uh, a platypus, we we talked about this this week, but like I'm, I'm fascinated by the existence of a platypus. Like it looks like a dog, but it has uh, but it swims in water and it's got duck bill, it's got webbed feet, it's got poisonous claws, it glows in the dark, and it doesn't have a stomach. Like, I don't, what is this? But, I, and I could, and I could, in fact, uh, we had this conversation on Wednesday with the students. They were like, are, are platypuses even real? And they're like, yeah, they are real. And they're like, oh, I thought it was just in that cartoon, Phineas and Ferb. I thought they just made it up. It's like, no, 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 that's a real thing. Like, like there's a cool, there's things that we look at in, in fiction and we're like, oh, that's really, really clever. But then there's the things that like actually exist that we're like, oh my gosh, like that's a sense of glory. It's, it's a feeling or a sense of wonder at the existence, the existence that it's actually real of significant qualities, poison claws and no stomach, glows in the dark, or actions that almighty creator of the universe would cross the battle lines in my heart to win me to himself. Our souls are strengthened by the Holy Spirit from the Father's glory. He goes to the storehouse of the Father's glory, and from there he comes and he strengthens our soul. He strengthens our, our inner being or our soul. And Fascinated, Um, Even in in the Old Testament and the law and all of the things that get hang up in there. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses turns to all of the the children of Israel, the second generation of Israel, because all their parents got died off because they didn't trust that God was doing what God was doing. So Moses says, let's try this again. And he stands up and starts to tell them everything that he had already told their parents that they didn't listen to. And he says, be careful in in Deuteronomy 4.9. Be careful to keep guard, protect your soul. In our inner being, our, our outer being is, it gets a lot of attention. Like, like if, we're, if, if we're talking with people about like life and things like that, like we really get a lot of attention on our outer being, right? Like you guys love my hairdo. My outer being gets a lot of attention, right? Um, but Jesus' or the Holy Spirit's purpose is encouraging our, our inner being. The things that we can't see. Um, our, our, our world is, is fixated on, on the outer being and our ability to do things. Do we have the strength to do things physically with our bodies? Like That's why we watch uh, the Olympics. Like, I can't believe they can do that. How do you stay on that stick going down the mountain like that? I don't understand. I can't even walk straight. The world gets fixated on our ability, but ability without motivation, is worthless. I have good health. I have the ability to do a lot of things. But if the Spirit doesn't give me motivation, I'm worthless. And the Spirit encourages us, encourages our souls gives us the motivation to use the abilities that God has given us from the storehouses of God's glory. And we neglect the work and the character and the attributes of God if we neglect those things and we wonder why we just feel dead inside. When we we neglect to go to how God's revealed Himself in the world, and we think, oh, I've heard that story before, but we don't enter into it with that sense of wonder to give Him glory, that that glory of God is strength for our souls. By the Holy Spirit. that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, Jesus dwells in us by the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit were a realtor, he is not picky about the properties that he takes. In fact, he says he'll take anything. he paid cash for it. It's fine. Whatever it is, I'll take it. Jesus is not asking for you to get your life put together before he's willing to take you into his family. But, but understand, if we, if, we, if we understand the gospel clearly, we know that as we come into the family of God, like the value of our property is probably not great. He, he took a loss on, on buying me. And he's got some work to do. To make it habitable, like he's going to have to do some renovation. Like, I'm probably going to have to rip down the studs and take a couple walls out and open up this space and make it an open floor plan. Like, what, like I don't know what he's going to do, but, but the Spirit comes in and, and, and renovates us. Um, Jesus comes to abide within you. Jesus isn't interested in renting your heart, he intends to abide in you. That was my relationship with, with God for a long, long time. It was more like a rental thing. Like, I'd be like, all right, God, you come in. And then he'd start like renovating and saying, hey, I need to cut this out. This drywall has got mildew in it. And I'm like, no, 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 it's good, it's good. I like it that way, it's always been like that. Don't touch that, just leave it right there. And I'd kick him out, I'm like, no, 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 don't change anything, it's fine. And then, you know, I'd get to camp or something like that as a young person and have this experience where I just felt close to God. And he's like, hey, remember that drywall? I know! Just take the drywall out! I don't want it anymore! And then he'd start to renovate some things, and then I'd walk out of camp and get back into the real world and be like, you know, uh, he was kind of harsh over there. I don't know that he needed to take all of that back. Maybe I'll just staple some of it back up. Like, it's kind of, I kind of like it still. You know? Like, it's like renting landlord relationship. You do something and then they do something and goes back and forth. Like Jesus doesn't want any of that. He intends to abide in your heart. He wants the whole thing. He wants the ownership of it. He intends to live there. If you buy a fixer-upper property, like it's going to take some work for it to be habitable. Because when something lives in there, it needs a bit of durability in order to sustain it. Like like you can't move six kids into a house and expect the house to not need some repairs as we go along. And if it's weak to begin with, like the whole thing's gonna fall down. That's what I think is fascinating in this passage that we need to be strengthened in order to comprehend the love. We need to be strengthened in order to comprehend the love. Those two things seem odd to me and yet that's that's what we've got here how are we abiding with Jesus in every step of our lives do we have that rental agreement or have we signed over the mortgage do we take directions from him if he says hey we're taking that wall out you say yes sir how are we abiding with Jesus every step of our lives there's a pull in me. I don't know if it's in you. You guys probably got it better than me, but uh, there's a pull in me to begin to fixate on my love for Jesus. As I read this, I'm like, okay, how, do that, how does my love for Jesus interact with this? But the, the emphasis of the text is on Jesus's love for us. You, you see the difference? We got two sides of the same coin. I'm pulled to like, how do I express my love for Jesus? And he says, no, 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 I'm not, that's not where I'm at yet. I'm, I want you to see my love for you. God alone strengthens us to grasp his great love so that you uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God rooted built upon drawing from rooted in the love of God But there's a plot twist. We must know the unknowable. Did you see that? Anybody else frustrated? Did you see that in verse 19? Drives me nuts when God does stuff like this. Verse 19, what does it say? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What? What? That, I was with you. I was tracking with you. I was feeling kind of encouraged. I had some things to work on. I know that, but I was encouraged. Like, I was like, okay, we get to know the love of God. And that's what I like. That's cool. Like, Michael, you usually say some things that are kind of hard and challenging. And I'm like, man, Michael's preaching the love of God. Like, that's a cool thing. I'm excited about that. But now you're getting to this point. You're like, you got to know the love of God. Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. That you can't know. What? What are we doing here? You have to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I want you to be rooted on that which you cannot understand. (sighs) I had the privilege uh, this past week of spending some time with some college students and we had a little game. Um, I had them put uh, questions in a bucket and so they could just write down any question that they had in their mind and throw it in the bucket and then we'd go around. And that way they could ask a question without being embarrassed about them having to ask it. And one of the questions that they asked was, um, what's the most important thing to tell other people about Christianity? What's the most important thing to tell other people about Christianity? And I had an answer immediately. like I knew what I wanted to say, but because I'm so you know, smart, I was like, let me hear where everybody else is at before I give an answer. And so I, I said, well, like, I, I know how I would approach this. Like, what, what, what does the room say? So I've got 12, 13 college students, you know, sitting around a circle. I'm like, what would you say is the most important thing to tell people about Christianity? And, and, and their answers floored me. Um, and they were like, hey, the, the most important thing that you need to tell people about Christianity is that you have not messed up so bad that God cannot save you, that there is no sin that's keeping you away from God. Or, or the, the most important thing is to let people know that God just loves them, that like he loves them and he cares about them and he wants to walk with them. And in my head, I'm going, that's not what, I don't know that that's where I would start because in my head I did this, this calculus of what's the most important thing to tell people about Christianity and the most important thing to tell people about Christianity is that the hinge upon which we understand everything rests upon and so the resurrection is the first thing that I want to talk about because it's historically viable and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead then we don't have anything to talk about anyway because his forgiveness and his love and the demonstration of everything it all is moot anyway because he just died and now he's dead and now we can die too like that's not good news so I was thinking academically and they were thinking, listen, experientially. I was thinking, what do people need to know? Which is a great place to start. And I don't think that that's an invalid place to start. I have started those kind of conversations with people who are far from God. Like, hey, man, the, th- the question you've got to answer is the resurrection. But that is knowing about God, not knowing God. I was coming at it from knowledge, they were coming at it from an experience. And I think that, like, that's the only way I know how to square this, that um, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge means that at some point your brain turns off. And you stop trying to figure it out and you just experience the love of God. Personally, you, personally. And I don't know exactly how to articulate what that looks like. I personally, as somebody who like, wants to talk about things that are really hard, fast truth, um, the, the experiential side of things like, makes me a little bit nervous because I know that we could pretty easily experience something that leads us away from what's true. But here we have in the truth that the experience is part of the truth. And that if we don't personally grab hold of the love of God, then maybe we're not in it. And so, I feel like maybe there's uh, some people that will hear that message and they'll be like, yeah, like I, I feel the love of God. Like there's no question in my mind that he loves me. Like he's comforted me in my weakness and he's given me strength when I've been, um, when I've been, been wounded and, and he's led me on and he's forgiven me and I'm covered by his grace. And there's some of us who's like, I know, I know the words. God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so like I'm in the, I know it. But have we apprehended it? Have we grasped it? God alone strengthens us to grasp His great love. Not that we understand the facts. A plus B equals C. Sin plus Jesus equals death for Jesus, life for me. But to Apprehend it, to experience it, to grasp it? Are we rooted on that which we cannot fully wrap our minds around, that breaks our brain? What are we sending our roots down into? Are we sending our roots down into entertainment? And that which just kind of makes me feel good and feel like I've, I've had an experience even though I've just been sitting on the couch for two hours. What are we sending our roots into? Are we sending our roots into the mysteries of God, of His great love, that we want to draw our life out of that, that we're abiding in Christ and He's abiding in us? Or are we sending our roots down into whatever just kind of feels okay at the moment? And if we can identify what we're sending our roots down into, then maybe we can ask what we ought to expect from that. What are the results of drawing life from those things? And is, are the, is that the kind of people that we think God meant for us to be? Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work, Within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So here's your last thing to mark. You marked strength and you marked love. Now maybe underline, maybe once, maybe twice, glory here in verse 21. And then you're gonna have to go back up to to glory in verse 16. Strength and love for God's glory. We cannot know but God can, and God is making us to know and helping us to experience his love. There was an author who put it this way that was helpful to me, like as I'm reading that, like, I'm, 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 there's something that's happening there, and I can't, like, this, this helps me to visualize it. God is able to do more. Not just do more, but to do far more abundantly. Not just to do far more abundantly, to do far more abundantly than all we ask. Not only can he do far more abundantly than all we ask, he can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Anything that we could possibly imagine, God is able to do not just more, but far more abundantly. And so I'm looking at this going, I have to understand what I can't understand. I have to walk in this truth that that is beyond my comprehension. I have to let my brain break at the love of God and then continue on living and walking in the Spirit. Like, how do I do that? And I probably can't, but God is able. But God is able. God is able. Well, how? (laughs) How? How does that work? Like, what does that look like? How do we how do we get there? Like, I don't know that I have like ex, uh, explicit answers. We're actually going to spend the rest of the weeks that we have here together as we go through this letter. He's going to give us some more ways to kind of work through this. But here in this passage, there's a principle that I've kind of overlooked because I've been saving it for this spot. And so I want I want to, to to show you that this is here, that this this faith. This, this strengthening of the spirit that we can comprehend the love. This is a group project. So when I read that as an American, I read that and I'm like, okay, God loves me, and I need to comprehend, and I need to, and all this thing. But 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 to do that, to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, to comprehend the love of Christ, is a group project. You're like Mike, what are you talking about? where are you getting that from? I just draw your attention back up to verse 16. I want to show you something that's happening. It's happening, um, if if, if you're not aware. Um, This letter was originally written in a different language. It was originally written in Greek. And what we have here is a translation into English. And English doesn't do some of the things that Greek does. So like, uh, Greek has a category of pronouns that, that are plural, that, really, that are really easy to use, and, and uh, proper English doesn't have them. So it would be super weird if we were to read uh, every you in this passage as y'all, It makes sense for us in Florida, but for everybody else in the United States, it's kind of odd, right? So y'all is not a proper English thing, but it's what is actually happening in the Greek. And you can kind of get a glimpse of it in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, and you read you as you, right? Singular, plural. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power and his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How many hearts you got? I just got one. So, so we had to read carefully to see it. It does show up in our English, so I'm not just making stuff up and telling you it's in the Greek and you don't have any way to guess. Like, it's there. Um, uh, but it also shows up in, in verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to apprehend, be strengthened by the Spirit, and to, uh, to, to apprehend the love of God is a group project. You probably cannot do it by yourself. God made us, created us for community. And as he is remaking us, he will continue to remake us in community. It's, it's about the family that he is building. We are adopted as individuals into the family. You realize that, that Jesus called each of the disciples individually, hey, you come follow me one-on-one, and then he immediately put them together in a small group as the disciples. Peter laid down his identity as Peter, and he became one of the disciples, one of the twelve. What about his... Like, God's still working with his heart. God's still shaping him, but he begins to shape him through his interaction with the rest of the disciples and the people who are following Jesus. And sometimes I think we get frustrated because we think I should be able to just, like, pray really, really hard uh, by me and myself and not necessarily have to deal with anybody else. And God, this this whole time, is like, you are doing this together. You need one another. And the results will reverberate throughout every generation. It's not just us that's on the line. I don't know the future. You're not surprised. <laughs> I don't know the future. And our efforts here today, like they might be encouraging for us, but like the legacy of what Neighborhood Church in Ocala could be might have absolutely nothing to do with us. It might be for people that are in Kid Nation or the kids that Kid Nation is going to raise. That that might be what God is doing with us here. I get, I get so focused on like, what's God doing on a Tuesday? Why do I feel so discouraged that I forget that God's worldview is, is like way longer than mine? And the things that he's growing in me and the things that I'm wrestling with might not even be for me. It might be a word that comes out of my mouth that gets embedded in my kid's heart somehow that he passes on to his son And I can't think on that level. Like, that stresses me out. I'm like, God, I don't think that I can participate in that level of things. And he's like, I got this. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Not just almighty power that creates everything, but the power that he's working in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's kind of encouraging. It kind of feels like we have a chance, right? It, it kind of feels like we're, we, we've got some buy-in, like this is part of us, but it's, it's also completely out of our hands. He's going to do what he's going to do. So then, how will we pray for our neighbors? Will we pray with the faith that says, God can do more than I can even imagine to ask him? Because God alone strengthens us to grasp his great love. God, we need you. It's so clear sometimes. We need you. And Lord, there's times where you begin to pull back the curtain and show us what it is that you're acting on and what it is that you're doing and the things that you're planning. And, and, and we, we can get uncomfortable with that. It seems too big for us. It seems too big for us to even play a part in. But Lord, we ask. Lord, we beg. Lord Jesus, we might even get on our knees and ask that you would give us the strength. to bear the torch of your love. There's times where I feel like I can't forgive myself, and it's clear to me that that's an idolatry. That if you can see me perfectly and still forgive perfectly, that I then need to walk in your love. God, would you shape us as a family, as a community, as a church? Would you shape us in that? Would we be strong enough to bear the failings of one another covered by the love of Christ? Would we give grace? Would we forgive our debtors as we have been forgiven? God, would you help us understand? More than that, would you give us that experience? not so that we can feel better about ourselves and not so that we can be up on our high horse about how we get it and everybody else don't. Lord, for your glory, for the sense of awe that you actually used us of all people in the world. Arrogant and comfortable though we are, you humbled us to walk in your love to invite our neighbors to follow you too. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we'll take a few minutes and reflect on how God's speaking this morning. Um, Some questions that we worked through are there. Um, But this isn't the end of the conversation. It's the, the, the beginning. And so it might be helpful for you to get some friends around the table that are also trying to follow Jesus. Um, And ask these questions to one another. If you need help with that, um, then we can give you some support. Let me know, and we'll help you figure that out. But let's just take a few minutes now and reflect on how God's speaking this morning before we close together.